In an era where every day seems to have a celebration of something obscure or suspect, such as National Tooth Fairy Day or Be an Angel Day, every single installment of Charlottesville Community Engagement seeks to draw your attention to some of the complexity of the world and to point you in the direction of resources to make sense of something you might not know. I'm Sean Tubbs, hoping to spark curiosity and provide lamplight each and every day. On today's edition, the Southern Environmental Law Center has filed a petition in Fairfax Circuit Court seeking to keep Virginia in the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative. The University of Virginia has selected two groups to develop two affordable housing projects, and Piedmont Housing Alliance is one of the choices. And the Albemarle County Planning Commission continues its work on the comprehensive plan by taking a look at the proposed Activity Center designation. In today's first subscriber-supported shout-out, the Charlottesville Jazz Society is pleased to announce a new monthly series devoted to showcasing this area's great local jazz talent. Beginning August 27th at Miller's Downtown, every final Sunday of the month will showcase the finest bands in and around Charlottesville, Richmond, and beyond. To kick things off, one of Charlottesville's favorite drummers, Jim Howe, will bring an exciting group featuring internationally known guitarist Royce Campbell. Jim Howe and friends will play from approximately 6 to 8 p.m., opening things up after that to any musician who might want to sit in and jam. These local jazz spotlight shows are free and open to the public and are sponsored in part by WTJU Radio. The CJS is grateful to Millers for their long-term support of jazz in Charlottesville and for offering a home for this new series. For more information on the Charlottesville Jazz Society, now in its 16th year of preserving jazz through live performances and education, visit seavilljazz.org. The Southern Environmental Law Center has filed suit in Fairfax Circuit Court to stop the Yunkin administration from following through with its plans to remove Virginia from an interstate compact intended to ultimately reduce greenhouse gas emissions. In June, the State Air Pollution Control Board voted 4-3 to three to exit the Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative administratively. States that participate in REGI require power plant owners to purchase allowances for each ton of carbon dioxide emitted. Here's a section from paragraph 7 of the petition, which was filed on Monday. The fact is that the General Assembly made a specific legislative decision to require Virginia to participate in Reggie, and only the General, General Assembly may revisit that choice. Governor Glenn Youngkin signaled within hours of being sworn in in January of 2022 that he wanted to leave Reggie by signing Executive Order Number 9. Legislation to withdraw from Reggie did not pass the General Assembly that year, so Yunkin opted to go ahead and do so administratively. The SCLC's petition argues that the administration has exceeded its authority and violated the Virginia Constitution and maintains that the Air Pollution Control Board cannot use higher utility bills as a rationale to repeal a regulation required by law. In a statement, the Virginia Secretary of Natural and Historic Resources said the body acted appropriately. 
Travis Voiles said that the state air pollution control board acted and believes that Virginia is not required to be in Reggie and that citizens of Virginia should not be subjected to what he calls an unnecessary tax. The SELC's petition argues that Virginians have benefited from joining the interstate compact. Here's a section from paragraph four. Carbon dioxide emissions from Virginia power plants have declined by 16.8% in the first two years of participation. The Reggie auctions have also generated over $650 million for Virginians, which have flowed to important flood resiliency and energy efficiency programs as required by the 2020 Reggie Act. SCLC's petition is on behalf of several groups, including the Association of Energy Conservation Professionals, Virginia Interfaith Power and Light, Appalachian Voices, and Faith Alliance for Climate Solutions. Reggie itself is run by a nonprofit organization that exists to run the auctions. Today, the group released a report on the secondary market for carbon dioxide allowances. That may be of interest to one or two of you who want to better understand how this process works. Two different nonprofit groups have been selected by the University of Virginia to develop two parcels of land that will be donated by the institution or its real estate foundation for the purpose of affordable housing. The Piedmont Housing Alliance will develop the Piedmont site off of Fontaine Avenue. That's a 12-acre site that is currently home to low-density apartments made available to university faculty and staff and some students. In a statement, Executive Director of the Piedmont Housing Alliance, Sunshine Mathon, said that they are excited to partner with UVA on the Piedmont site. He said that negotiations and site diligence are still underway, but the goal is to develop a sensitive, thoughtful plan to respect the history of the site while creating much-needed affordable housing for the community. The preservation of affordable housing will develop a two-acre site at 10th and Wortland. The Boston-based organization has worked on projects in 11 states and the District of Columbia, according to their website. Now, here's a section from the July 7th announcement on the website for the President's Council on UVA Community Partnerships. The partnership terms will hold the developers accountable for creating high-quality developments that will be affordable and well-maintained for the long term. The website goes on to state that construction would not likely start until 2025 at the earliest. A third site will be developed at the North Fork Discovery Park, but a request for proposals for that site won't be released until a rezoning with Albemarle County is completed. You're listening to Charlottesville Community Engagement and in today's second subscriber-supported shout-out. One Patreon supporter wants you to know that Charlottesville now has an e-bike lending library. E-bikes are a great way to get around the community, but there are many brands and styles to choose from. Because many e-bikes are sold online, it can be a challenge to try an e-bike before buying one. The Charlottesville e-bike lending library is a free, not-for-profit service working to expand access to e-bikes in the area. They have a small collection of the e-bikes that are lent out to community members for up to a week for free. You can experience your daily commute, go grocery shopping, or even bike your kids to school and decide whether e-bikes are right for you. Check out their service at www.ebikelibrarycville.org.
The Albemarle Planning Commission had the chance earlier this month to weigh in on four of what planning staff are calling toolkits to help frame the ongoing review of the comprehensive plan. The overall process is called AC44. Here's Kevin McDermott, the county's interim director of planning. Tonight we'll be going over uh, four very dense and important topics that in a way really set the direction for everything else we'll be talking about throughout the uh, throughout the comp plan. In June, Albemarle released detailed documents on those four topics, which I previously written about in other stories. We're only going to deal with one today, draft activity centers in the development areas. We'll hear about the other ones later. The community advisory committees in Albemarle had their opportunity to review the documents in July, as I wrote about later that month. On August 8th, the Planning Commission had their turn. So tonight, what we're doing is trying to set the direction for how our team can get into the details of how the county might want to grow into the future. The four toolkits emerged during the first phase of the comprehensive plan, which took a look at the long-standing growth management policy that reserves around 5% of county land for intense land uses. Development in the rest is kept to a minimum to preserve agricultural land and to concentrate county infrastructure to specific areas. The broad question to the Planning Commission was to see if staff should pursue some of the ideas that have made their way so far, or just follow the direction of previous comprehensive plans. Here's Tori Canalopoulos, a principal planner with the county. They are topics that could support the growth management policy with coordinated land use and transportation planning. There are also ways the AC44 framework could be applied, and there are topics that cut across many planned chapters. Let's go through one of the definitions in the toolkits, activity centers. Activity centers are locations in the development areas that either now or in the future have a mix of residential, business, and recreational uses, and have a higher intensity and concentration of uses than surrounding areas and underlying land uses. These are to be walkable and supported by transit. The current comprehensive plan has the equivalent destination centers, but these activity centers would be further delineated by neighborhood, town, and destination types. There would be fewer of them, as some areas have not developed as originally plotted out by planners. One commissioner supported that reduction. Here is Karen Firehawk of the Samuel Miller District. We already have, I believe, way too many centers. There's seas everywhere, a Washington seas. Firehawk said the county also needs to play a role to make sure infrastructure is in place to make these centers attractive to people and developers. At-large Commissioner Luis Carazana agreed with Firehawk. I think we we dilute what we already have if we start mm -hmm. to create all these. So I agree there's, we have too many of these C's already. So we need to be more intentional about where we're going to have them so that we can think about infill, we can think about adaptive reuse, and densify the ones that we do have. That's going to be better for our infrastructure. Carazana's day job is in the office of the architect at the University of Virginia. Commissioner Julian Bivens said this exercise provided an opportunity to review other previously planned centers to see how they've turned out. Stonefield is smack in the middle of the big center. But it's so hard to get there unless you drive. So the whole idea is the centers still feel as if they're automobile-centric. 
Some of the existing centers have been detailed in the various master plans that Albemarle has adopted to guide development, such as the recently adopted Pantops master plan, as well as the Rio 29 plan. Another commissioner, whose day job is related to development at the University of Virginia, said these types of plans are important. Here's Fred Missel, the Director of Development at the University of Virginia Foundation. Having sort of a, an overall understanding of a concept plan as it relates to these different centers, I think is important. Commissioner Lonnie Murray said he would want the existing community advisory committees to weigh in on what centers should be eliminated, if any. He also floated an idea that was studied by Albemarle County 15 years ago that was not implemented. You should really consider transfer of development rights as a mechanism for flexibility that allows to preserve larger areas and shift that development where we want it. Commissioner Nathan Moore said he was supportive of the activity centers, but was concerned that much of the discussion was based on what he viewed as low participation rates. Hearing from fewer than 100 people in person out of a county of a hundred and some thousand, it, 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 it does bother me a little bit. Um, and so I do want to, I do want to think about how do we get more people engaged in, in this kind of discussion. So that's one out of four toolkits. I'll have more from the other discussions in future editions of this newsletter. The Board of Supervisors are going to be briefed on these same four toolkits at a meeting in September, and the Planning Commission will get into more details on these topics in three other work sessions scheduled for this year. But will you? I'm looking for comments from people about the AC44 process and what they think about it and planning processes in general. After all, this thing is called Charlottesville Community Engagement. And in a perfect world, these newsletters would come out every day at a normal, regular time. The world is not perfect, but I'm going to keep striving to get a regular routine going. There are over 500 paid subscriptions to this newsletter, and I am here to work for that number, as well as the larger number of over 2,300 subscribers. In three years, I've assembled quite the body of work, but I will not rest on my laurels, because I'm allergic. So this is the latest edition, and hopefully it will be supplanted by another one tomorrow, and so on. The odds of this routine becoming more polished does depend on more paid subscriptions. Ting wants to help incentivize you to do just that by matching your initial subscription. They do so because they want to support this community's ability to know what's going on, and that's what I'm here for. I'm Sean Tubbs, and uh, thank you for being here. We'll see you at 569, hopefully on Wednesday, 823.